All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities or if you're watching this message online, I got an email a couple weeks ago that said there's a local hospital here in Minnesota that on Sunday mornings they show the Eaglebrook service in one room and they show a movie in the other room. And they said the Eaglebrook service always has way more people. Now, some of you are like, what movie are they playing, right? You're just, you're curious about that. I don't know. But I'm always blown away to see how God is using this church in people's lives and so grateful to have all of you with us today. Uh, We are continuing on in a series called Seven Words That Can Change Your Life. One word can change your life. And oftentimes it's the most simple words that are the most impactful. Words like yes, no, and today's word, which is thanks. When I first saw that I was speaking on this topic, I thought, is that really life-changing? I mean, it's polite to say thank you. I try to teach my kids that if a waiter or waitress brings them their food or refills their drink, they should say thank you. If someone gives my kids something, I might prompt them and go, now what do you say? Because I want them to learn to be appreciative and polite. But does that change a person's life? Because that's the premise of this series, that these are seven words that can change your life. Well, as I began to study it, what I realized is that gratitude is not a one-time thank you. Gratitude is a mindset. It's a way of seeing the world. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes these words. He says, always be joyful. Keep on praying. And then he writes, no matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul says, no matter what, always be thankful. Is he serious about that? I mean, I know that's in the Bible and everything, but does anybody actually do that on a daily basis? Because I, for one, am not always thankful. For example, several several years ago, I had a fire alarm in my basement that was beeping at me. I changed the battery on it, and it was still beeping, I changed the battery on all the fire alarms in the basement, and still it was beeping. A few days later, I went outside to turn on my water for the spring. My kids had wanted to run through the sprinklers, which is kind of our version of Wisconsin Dells. (laughs) The kids were like, Dad, I want to go to the Dells. I'm like, I'll just go put a sprinkler on. It's like the exact same thing, okay? You're not missing anything. And so I went down to the furnace room, turned on the water for, for outside, came outside and realized that one of my pipes had split in three places over the winter. Water going everywhere. So I ran back downstairs, turned off the outside water, came upstairs and discovered that now I had no running water inside the house and I had no idea what I had just done. The next day I woke up with what appeared to be a bug bite on my forehead. I didn't really think anything of it until it started to swell up. And pretty soon, half of my forehead was swelled up like this. Our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, saw me and said, did did somebody whack you or something? I mean, it looked like I had just gotten beaten up. I went to the doctor on a Saturday, went to the ER, and they told me that it was either an infected bug bite or a boil. A boil. (laughs) My wife said, isn't that what Job had in the Bible? I was like, yes, but Job didn't have a fire alarm beeping at him nonstop. I had about 99 different emotions that weekend, but gratitude was not one of them. 
I mean, how are you supposed to be grateful when you have a fire alarm beeping at you, no water running in the house, and a boil on your forehead? Do you know what else I'm not thankful for? Snow. I am not thankful for snow in April. I was taking a walk at night. It was April 9th. I was kind of just taking a walk, and I found myself unconsciously humming a song. And finally, I stopped, and I said, what, what song am I humming? And I realized it was, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> the next day, I caught myself humming, Oh, come, let us adore him. In April. Now, I realize there are some of you crazy Christmas people out there, right? There's crazy cat people. There's crazy Christmas people. You know who you are. You have circled the weekend after Labor Day, and you're like, the tree's going up. The Christmas music's coming out. But even you would have to admit that April is a little too soon to think about these things. A week after that, we got 20 inches of snow. And so when Paul writes in the Bible, no matter what happens, always be thankful, there's part of me going, well, Paul, have you ever gotten 20 inches of snow in April? <laughs> Another translation of this verse says that in all circumstances, be thankful. Now, what strikes me about that is it's a command. He doesn't say, you know, if, if you can, try to be a grateful person. He doesn't say, in general, always better to be thankful. No, 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 this is a command. It's like, thou shall not murder, and oh, by the way, thou shall always be thankful. It's a big deal to God. But why? Well, never before has that question been so relevant. In fact, in 2011, David Rossmarin, who's a professor at Harvard University, he's also an expert on mental health, he conducted a study of 400 adults. And what he found in that study was that general gratitude leads to a decrease in stress, anxiety, and depression, and an increase in a person's general overall well-being. In that same study, Rossmarin, who I, I don't know if he's a believer in Christ or not, he found that religious gratitude, so gratitude towards God, resulted in a greater decrease in stress, anxiety, depression, and a greater increase in a person's overall well-being. Just a couple of months ago, in February of 2018, the Wall Street Journal had an article titled Attitude of Gratitude. And in that article, they stated that young people today are showing more signs of entitlement than previous generations. Now, I'm not sure if I believe that or not, because I think everyone is a little entitled when they're at that age. But in the article, they said that they're seeing that young people today tend to be more entitled than previous generations were. In that article, Dr. Richard Weisberg, who's also a professor at Harvard, he's quoted in the article as saying this. He says, parents were fed a myth that if children feel better about themselves, if parents praise them, cater to their every need, and make them feel happy, it'll help them develop character. But what we're seeing in many cases is the opposite. When parents organize their lives around their kids, those kids expect everyone else to as well, and that leads to entitlement. Weisberg concludes this way. He says, when children are raised to feel entitled to everything, they are left feeling grateful for nothing. It's no wonder the Bible says, no matter what happens to you, be thankful. 
Now, can this word thank you change your life? I believe that it can. In fact, 12 years ago, I was trying to get my master's degree in seminary. I was working full time, and my wife and I had just had our first child, and I was drowning. I would go to work all day, I would come home at night and go to night class, and then I would be up at, you know, every few hours with a crying baby. And on my days off, I had to do homework, and on the weekends, I had things like middle school all-nighters. And I was not grateful. I was not thankful. I complained all the time. I would say things to my wife like, we have the most colicky baby ever. And I would say things like, middle school all-nighters are just torture. Being up at 3 o'clock in the morning with a bunch of 13 and 14-year-olds jacked up on Red Bull. I said, it's just, it's not fair. If you would have titled my life at that time, it would have been, Jason wishes things were different. You ever felt that way before? One day I listened to a message by Pastor James McDonald called Replace a Complaining Attitude. And I say this about very few messages, including my own, but that message changed my life. And it wasn't necessarily the content of it that changed my life, but it was the fact that I actually applied it that changed my life. In that message, McDonald talks about the Israelites in Numbers chapter 11. And the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt, but God loved them. And so he set them free. He parted the Red Sea. He defeated their enemies. And as they were going through the wilderness, he had something called manna coming from heaven. Now, the word manna, it literally means, what is it? So I'm not surprised that the Israelites were a little hesitant about eating this. I mean, that's not something you say when something looks appetizing, right? You don't sit at the Thanksgiving dinner table and turn to your relative and go, pass me a plate of that, what is it? If you are sitting at the table and you're a little kid and your mom tells you, hey, you gotta eat two bites of the what is, I don't, what is it? I don't know what that is. It's like a spam gelatin concoction your grandma made. You, you might be a little hesitant about that. So I can understand the Israelites' reticence to eat this manna, but here's what manna was. Manna was honey-infused bread. And keep in mind that as they were going through the wilderness, they had no other food sources. So this manna, which was falling from heaven, was literally keeping them alive. You'd think that they would be extremely grateful. Hardly. It says that they complained about all their hardships. What were those hardships? Well, look at what it says in Numbers 11. It says, the people began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember all the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. Day after day, we have nothing to eat but this manna. And so here are these Israelites, and they're going, oh, remember the fish we used to have? Remember all the melons and the leeks and the happy meals? I mean, we were so happy back then, but we're not happy now. Except they're leaving out one important detail. They were slaves in Egypt. They were working hard manual labor for 16 hours a day. Put yourself in God's shoes here for just a moment. You rescue these people from slavery, 
You provide food from heaven for them to eat, and all they can do is complain. A few weeks ago, my wife made wild rice meatloaf for dinner, and she had made it the week before, and it was a big hit, but this time, my oldest son took one bite, and he went, oh, I'm not going to eat this. And my second oldest son, as if taking his cues from his older brother, goes, He's the subtle one, right? <laughs> and so my wife understandably got defensive and she said, well, you guys, it's the same recipe that I made last week. And then she turned to me as if for some affirmation and she said, well, it's the same recipe your mom makes. Now, I must be the dumbest man alive. <laughs> That's a layup. If, if I had a brain just, you know, this size, I would have smiled at her and said, I think it tastes just like my mom's. <laughs> but I'm a truth teller. And so instead, I said, well, it doesn't taste like my mom's. <laughs> and, and then I kept going. And I, and I knew it at the time. I'm like, words, stay in my mouth. Don't do this to me. But I kept going. I said, no offense, but the boys are right. I said, I said, oh, like you've never done it, some of you guys. Jeez. I said, the boys are right. I said, you know, last week's meatloaf, that was great. But I said, you know, this tastes weird. I said, I mean, I'll eat it. You know, it's fine and everything like that. But, but don't make it again. And, and that was kind of a quiet dinner that night. But the next morning, you'll be grateful to know that I did feel convicted by this. You see, I don't cook all that much. I'm great on frozen pizzas. I've never met a chef better than I am on that. But I don't cook a whole lot. And so just put yourself in my wife's shoes here for a moment. You spend the whole afternoon cooking a meal for your family so they can be healthy and stay alive. And one bite in, all they can do is complain. I wonder if that's how God felt. I wonder if God was looking at the Israelites and going, I rescued you from slavery. You had no life. You were working 16 hours a day. And then I parted the Red Sea. I defeated your enemies. I'm taking you to a land that's so beautiful. We're going to call it the promised land. And oh yeah, to get there, you got to go through some wilderness. But don't worry, I'm going to provide manna coming out of heaven to keep you alive. And all they could do was complain. It's like they were eating at Manny's Steakhouse, but were a little frustrated because there weren't as many options as you get at the pizza ranch. God speaks to Moses. He tells Moses, here's what I want you to tell the people. He says, tell them that the Lord has heard your whining and complaints. If only we had meat to eat, surely we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be for just a day or two, or five, or ten, or even twenty. You'll eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. When you were growing up, did you ever have your parents say to you, you want to cry? Oh, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Apparently, that was a godly parenting technique. Because I think that's what God is doing here. He's like, you want meat? 
Oh, you want, you want, oh, I'll give you meat. You're going to have so much meat, it's going to be coming out of your noses. God is so ticked about this that hundreds of years later in Psalm 95, he's still talking about how faithless and offensive this was to him. Thousands of years later in Hebrews chapter 3, God is still going on about how much whining and complaining he had to listen to in the wilderness. Why is God so offended by this? Why did God take this so personally? Well, again, put yourself in God's shoes. You create the earth and you make it sustainable for life. And there's oxygen to breathe and there's a sun that heats the earth. And there's food and water that keeps people alive. And then you create things like oceans and sunsets and wildflowers and crab apple trees. And there's the Rocky and Blue Ridge mountain ranges. And there's white sand beaches off of the Gulf of Mexico. And there's towering bluffs that overlook Lake Superior. And then you give these people steak and bacon and cotton candy and waffle houses. And then you give them relationships. You give them parents and siblings and friends and kids and boyfriends, girlfriends and spouses. You give them shelter. You give them transportation. And most importantly, you give them your only son, Jesus Christ. And with that comes the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life and the promise that you will never leave them. And you fill them with your love and with your peace. And you tell them that if they will love you in return, they have nothing to worry about because you are going to work everything for the good in their life. And in return, what you hear from them at times is, my life stinks. I just have so much to do and all this work. and My job stinks. Wish I had more vacation time. Wish I got a bigger salary. How come I didn't get promoted like that? How come they got promoted? That's not fair, God. And how come they got invited to that party? And, and how come they get more playing time than I do? And how come they have more friends? And why do I have to deal with this in life, God? And why didn't you heal me? And why am I stuck in this marriage? And God, you owe me. You haven't done more for me yet. Manna, manna, manna. It's what we sound like. See, here's what I believe. I believe that the happiest people on planet Earth are the most thankful. Research shows this to be true. The Bible confirms it to be true. That the most joyful people are the most thankful. Paul says, no matter what happens to you, no matter your circumstances, because this has nothing to do with your circumstances in life, he says, always be thankful. If you could obey that one command, it would change your life. But how do you do that? Well, let me give you two ways that you can become more of a grateful person. The first one is this, eliminate when-then thinking. I have struggled with this my whole life. When I was in high school, I thought, you know, when I get out of high school and go to college, then life's really going to get going. And then when I went to college, I thought, you know, when I graduate college, get my own place, then I'm going to be free and independent. And then I graduated college and went off to seminary, and I thought, you know, when I finally graduate from seminary, 
boy, then I'll have a life again. And we do this, don't we? We, we say things like, you know, when I retire, then I'll be able to enjoy my life. Or when I go on that vacation, then I won't be stressed out. I mean, it's, it's how I'm gonna be right now, but, but I won't be when that happens. Or when you're single, you think when I get married, then I won't be so lonely. And then you get married and you think, you know, when we have kids, then we'll be happy. And then you have kids. And you think, well, it must be when they get out of diapers. You know, I, I think that's when you really start to get happy. And then you think, oh, maybe it's when they move out of the house. You know, then I'm not picking up messes all the time. Then I can travel again. When, then, thinking. Here's what when, then, thinking is. When, then, thinking believes that there is some event, person, possession, vacation out there, that when it happens is going to fix the void and emptiness that's in your life. Anyone here today struggle with when, then, thinking? Any one of us have an area of our life where you go, well, when that happens, you know, then I'll be happy, then I'll start to enjoy my life, then I can finally be thankful and grateful. Here's what when, then, thinking does. It grinds out gratitude because it never allows you to enjoy the season that you're in. You're always looking forward to the next season, the next breakthrough that's gonna fix everything in your life. But the problem is it never comes. The next season has its own when-then dilemma. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 118. It says, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Not tomorrow, not next week or next year, not next season of your life. Not when you retire, not when you go on vacation to Hawaii. He says, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I love that phrase, teach us to number our days. I figured out this week that as of today, I have lived on this earth for 14,000 402 days. But notice that the psalmist says, teach us to number our days. In other words, this doesn't happen naturally. You have to learn how to do this. Days don't number themselves, which is one of the reasons why every day I try to spend some time reading the Bible and hearing from God. And then I journal about what I read. And I'm very intentional to put the date at the top. Because in all the busyness of life, I want to take a moment to say, God, today, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want to speak into my life today? What do you want me to know and teach me today? How can I thank you for that day? The Bible says, today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My son Hudson had a basketball tournament this winter, and he was really frustrated after one game. He felt like his team should have won. He could have done more. He was also frustrated he didn't get more playing time or get more shots. He was, he was kind of moping around pretty good. And my wife has this ability to take real-life events and use them to teach a point. And so as they were walking into the gym for the second game, she noticed this 14-year-old girl walking ahead of them who had cerebral palsy. And she was walking with the assistance of crutches that were connected 
to her forearms. And Hudson, or Sarah turned to Hudson and she said, have you ever thanked God for the ability to run? Have you ever taken a moment to say thank you to God that you can play basketball in the first place? And Hudson thought about that for a moment. He said, no, I, I can't remember ever doing that. And Sarah pointed to this 14-year-old girl and she said, you know, she may never run as fast as you. She may never feel what it's like to steal the ball and drive the length of the floor and score a layup. What do you think she would feel if she heard you complaining about playing time? That's perspective. That's saying, God, I am going to thank you for what I have instead of complaining about what I don't. I'm going to be grateful for what you've given me instead of always looking over here and saying, well, God, why didn't you give me that? You have to eliminate when-then thinking. Here's the second way to grow in gratitude. It's this, be the one who circles back. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. And he's on the border of Galilee and Samaria. He enters into this little village and 10 lepers come out to meet him. And they cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Leprosy was and is a skin disease where boils will break out all over your body. Extremely painful. It's also extremely contagious. To the point where if you had leprosy, you had to be quarantined from everybody else. You lived in a separate leper community. And if you were walking down the street and you saw someone coming towards you who didn't have leprosy, you would have to cry out, leper, unclean. And that meant, get to the other side of the street because you don't want to be around me. Jesus heals all 10 of these lepers, just like that. Their lives are changed forever. They can hug people again. They can marry, they can date, they can have children, they can get a house, they can find a job. They are no longer an outcast in society. But look at what it says next. It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God, I'm healed. He fell down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Jesus asked the man, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Does only this foreigner, this, this man was from Samaria, does only this foreigner return to give glory to God? 10 people were healed. Only one of them said, thank you. Will you be the one? Statistically speaking, most people will forget. God will give them life, he will give them breath, he will give them talents and abilities, he will love for them, care for them, provide for them, he will be faithful to them, and they will run off. And they'll get so wrapped up in their career and their kids and their own dreams and ambitions that they will forget to circle back to God and say thank you. Will you be the one? The one who daily pauses to give thanks and glory to the one who gave you life, will you be the one? Who in all the busyness of life says, God, I want to worship you. That for at least one hour a week with other believers and then for at least a little bit of time every day, 
I want to worship you as the creator and sustainer of this universe. Will you be the one? The one who circles back to Jesus Christ and says, thank you. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Will you be the one? Pastor Craig Grishel says that every blessing in our life that isn't turned into praise will turn into pride. In other words, when something good happens in our life, if you don't say, God, thank you, pretty soon you start to believe, well, I earned that. I deserve that. I was entitled to that, and that is pride. Will you be the one? Every year for Christmas, our family tries to give Jesus a gift, and it's not a material gift, of course. It's more of a gift from our lives, and we go all out. So we get Jesus a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. He loves those ice cream cakes. I'm telling you, it's not in the Bible, but it's true. And my wife is always like, oh, they're so expensive. I'm like, this isn't about you, okay? (laughs) This isn't about you. It's not about me. This is for Jesus. So if you love him, we're going to get the Dairy Queen cake. And so we do, and... And then we sing happy birthday to him and we give him a gift from our lives. And this past year, the gift that I gave was I said, God, I want to be more thankful. And very specifically on my commute home, I want to thank you for five things. And this takes me a minute or two. But I will thank God for that day that he's made. And I will thank God for any answered prayers in my life. And I will thank him for salvation and the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. And I will thank him for any blessing that occurred in my life that day. I will even thank him for things that didn't go well. Because I can learn from those and be disciplined by those. And here's what I've found in doing this for the last couple of months. Gratitude is not a one-time thank you. It is a mindset. It is a way of seeing the world. Paul says, no matter what happens, no no matter what your circumstances are in life, this has nothing to do with your circumstances. This has everything to do with your attitude. You choose. He says, be thankful. In his book, Grace is Greater, author Kyle Eidelman tells a story about a man who requested that their church pay for his grave marker. It's rather unusual to have someone ask you to pay for their own gravestone. And so Eidelman decided, I want to meet this man and find out a little bit more about his story. So they got together for lunch, and the guy's name was Marcus. And Marcus said that one morning he woke up severely jaundiced. He said, I had been a heavy drinker early in my life, so I, I kind of assumed it was cirrhosis of the liver, but he described himself as orange as a pumpkin. He rushed to the ER, and within an hour... They told him, you have pancreatic cancer. You will die in two days. Now, chemotherapy slowed that down a little bit. But he said, as it did, I started to notice a shift in my spirit. He said, I started to become grateful for things that I had never even thought about before. I was thankful for my next meal. And I was thankful for just a friend who might come and visit. He said, and then I noticed myself becoming thankful for stuff that I can't even see with my own two eyes. I was thankful for Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life 
And I was so thankful that Jesus promises that he's going to give me a new body, one that's not being destroyed by cancer, and that I will have that body for all of eternity. He said it was the strangest thing, but these last couple of days I've had more joy than almost my whole rest of my life combined. And so he said, here's what I want written on my gravestone. Lord, forgive me for the days when I was ungrateful. He said, my hope is that one person will be walking through the cemetery and they will notice. And in one sentence, they will see my problem. I wasn't grateful. But in that same sentence, they will see the solution. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for the days that I was ungrateful. He said, that's the message that I want people to see. Message received. Let's stand together at all of our campuses and pray. God, you are so good to us. And I don't know why that some of us have this personality where we tend to look at what we don't have instead of what we do, and we can tend to complain about the things in our life that aren't going well instead of saying thank you for the things that are. But God, right now, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for the days that we have been ungrateful? Because today is the day that you made. And we have an opportunity to rejoice in it or complain, but it's our choice, God. And so right now we declare to you that we are so grateful for who you are and what you've done in our lives. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for all of the good blessings that you've poured out that we are even alive today and we're here and we're able to worship you and to say thank you to you. God, we want to be the one. We want to be the one who circles back to say thank you. And so we're doing that right now in this moment. We're praying it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, we've got a team down front. Love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.